chapter 4, John chapter 4, stand together. It's good to have Pastor uh, Lloyd Reed with us, his wife, uh, down from Medford, Oregon, Harvest Baptist Church. Our old friend, Brother Mike Gass, and his, and his brother Bob pastored for years there. Now Brother Reed is uh, leading that ministry down there, in, up there in Medford. He's down for the uh, leadership conference at the Lancaster Baptist Church, going to be uh, speaking out there this coming week, and so um, come over to uh, have some fellowship with us and worship uh, uh, the Lord together with us here. We're grateful for them being able to be here today too. When I first saw him come in my Sunday school class, I thought it was Brother Garza. You know, he's got he's got a little bit of that uh, tone of skin there to him there. You know, and uh, so I thought he was one of my Mexican compadres. But uh, yeah, but then I realized, my wife said, you know him. You know, we met Brother Reed already. But you know how I am. I'm getting so I have trouble remembering my own name. So, uh, uh, but we're glad to have Brother Reed, and Mr. Reed, with us today. So you uh, uh, make them feel welcome. Let's take our Bible to John chapter 4. I want to read verse, uh, I have in the uh, bulletin, I think, verse 3 to 14, but I want to read verse 1 on down there. Remember, uh, as uh, we talked about how that uh, the uh, the situation with John the Baptist baptizing and then his disciples coming to Jesus uh, and then the uh, situation growing to where the disciples of Jesus were making and baptizing more than John was, and so uh, the time has come for uh, the Lord and his disciples to move to a, a different place. They're on their way to Galilee. So let's take a look here and see what it says. And when the Lord knew how that uh, the Pharisees had heard that Jesus had uh, baptized more disciples, had made and baptized more disciples than John, though Jesus himself baptized not but his disciples, he left Judea and departed again into Galilee. And he must needs go through Samaria. Uh, then cometh he to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar. It was all in the Old, Old Testament. This city was called Shechem. So he comes to Sychar near to the parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. And Jesus, therefore, being wearied with his journey, sat thus on the well. It was about the sixth hour, about noon. And there cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus saith unto her, Give me to drink. For his disciples were gone away into the city to buy meat. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest a woman, and a woman of Samaria, uh, uh, askest uh, a drink of me, which is a woman, and a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that saith to thee, Give me to drink, Thou wouldst have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman saith unto him, Sir, thou hast nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. From whence then uh, hast thou that uh, living water? Thou art, art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well, and drank thereof himself, and his children, and his cattle? And Jesus answered and said unto her, Whosoever drinketh of this water shall thirst again. Whosoever drinketh of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But the water that I give him shall be in him a well of water, springing up into everlasting life. And our Heavenly Father, we pray that you'd add your blessing to the reading of thy word today as we consider her greatest need, one she didn't even know about yet. And so I pray, Father, that you'd help us uh, who all have needs to have them met in Jesus Christ and in his word. I ask your blessing on the word now in Jesus' name. 
Amen. If you would remain standing for our welcome hymn, we'll sing a verse of uh, this next hymn and then turn around, shake hands to those nearby you. And tread this earth for that 33 years and die in our place and rescue a sinner like you and like me. Thank the Lord for that. Uh, John chapter 4, if you would. John chapter 4. I titled the message today, Her Greatest Need. Her Greatest Need. We saw that he must needs go through Samaria. That's in, if you got the right kind of Bible, that's what it says. If you got a different kind, it says something else. But uh, he must needs go through Samaria. And it gives us the key to what's coming up. There's needs that our Lord is going to meet in an unexpected way as we pass through this uh, passage of Scripture there. So we're going to be looking at that today. It's been good for us uh, to be able to have uh, Garrett with us and, and uh, Anna. And they've been with us for this last week, been joining the fellowship together. And, and they're going to be heading home on Monday. So you pray for them as they head out. They must needs also go through back home to Samaria uh, until they come back to the promised land as they are looking forward to one of these days. But uh, that's what we have here. We have the, uh, the Lord uh, uh, looking at the situation here in, in uh, the uh, situation there in Judea and John the Baptist and his uh, converts now, uh, many of them uh, coming to follow Christ, who's, uh, John's whole purpose was that, you understand. And so there's no animosity at all between John the Baptist and, and uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. And there wasn't any of this competition that goes on. Well, how many do you have saved and how many do you have baptized and how many uh, members are there and that, and that kind of thing. It wasn't a numbers game with Jesus. And so uh, he heard, though, that the Pharisees had been talking about that and discussing that. So he said, we, uh, we're going to go north. And so this right here, let's pretend this right here is the, um, is the, uh, the Jordan River. And up here is the Dead Sea, and in the foyer is the, um, is the Sea of Galilee there. So uh, that's the map there. It's pointing north, so we're looking at the right direction there. So over on that side of, um, the, uh, of the Jordan River, you've got, you know, the half-tribe of Manasseh, Ephraim and Manasseh uh, over there. But then you also have uh, the various uh, tribes, Moab and the Ammonites and so forth on the other side as well. And over on this side down here, you've got, uh, you know, Judea, the, the um, province of Judea and where Jerusalem and all that. And uh, moving up that way, you're heading toward Galilee in the back there. Elisha's right in the middle of Galilee area there. The Sea of Galilee's right over there. Uh, but in the middle, where Matthew is right there, that's Samaria. That's Samaria. You're the Samaritans over there uh, in that spot. And so uh, these Samaritans are there, and the, the observant Jew would would never think of walking through Samaria because to him these Samarians were common. They were, you know, a mixture. They were Gentile and, and some intermarriage with Jews and so forth. And they had uh, their own religion and it was kind of a corruption of Judaism that they had there and they had their own system of worship. And uh, they, weren't, uh, they weren't respected by the Jews. They weren't respected by the Romans. They were kind of the outcasts uh, there, the Samaritans there in that part of the, uh, of the promised land. And so the observant Jew would come down here, and as he's going to Galilee, he would take all the trouble to come across to the, uh, uh, to the east there, and he would uh, get into uh, the area on the other side of our, of our um, Jordan River here, he would uh, move north until he was past Samaria, and then he would cut back across, made his trip much longer because he had a real detour to get there, but at least he didn't have to corrupt himself with, the, uh, with those corrupt Samaritans and get uh, stained with Samaritan 
sins in his mind. He thought that's not, uh, that's not for an observant Jew. But Jesus says he must needs go through Samaria. He's going from, he's going from up here in uh, Judea to Samaria, and he's going the most direct route. He's going to go right through Samaria. He is stopping in this city of Sychar, this city that was once called Shechem. Uh, and so he's, he's going to stop there. It's reached uh, high noon there, and he's in the city of uh, Sychar. It is, when he says he must needs go through uh, Samaria, it gives us a clue to the fact that there's an appointment that is ordained by God with Jesus Christ and this woman at the well. Now, Sychar, that's where uh, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal meet. There, there's a valley between, and Sychar, or Shechem, is right there in that area. You remember Gerizim and Ebal, and that was where they, where they first began to make their way well into the Promised Land. They came on these two, what we would call high hills, but they call them mountains there. And uh, they, that was there where that, uh, a lot of things happened. There's a great deal of history there. When you get your opportunity to go to uh, the Holy Land and see the sites, one of the things you might be able to do, sometimes they can and sometimes they can't. It's in an area that's not part of the regular uh, uh, areas that they go see, but you can make your way there and you'll be in an area of great deal of history when you get there because you got, uh, you'll actually be able to see Gerizim and Ebal. You'll be able to visualize the tribes as they were divided up when, uh, when Joshua came in and he had them uh, go on either side in, in Gerizim and Ebal. And up on Gerizim, they pronounced across the valley the blessings that were be yours if you follow the Lord. And on this side, the, uh, the combined voices of all of that uh, part of Israel would pronounce the cursings if we disobey the Lord and, and turn our back upon Him. So the amount of blessing and the amount of cursing were there in that valley of decision in between. And so that was at this place that Jesus comes into contact with this uh, Samaritan woman. It was here in this area that Joseph's bones are buried. It was here that, of course, we see it here, Jacob's well. There is today yet water in that well, and it is, uh, it's been built over top of by a Greek Orthodox church, but you can still go in and see the well. You can drink from the water of the well that the woman there at uh, Sychar was uh, wondering how that Jesus would convert that water into water that springs up into everlasting life. And you can go to that place. You can go visit uh, Joseph Bones, where the tomb is, and it's in that same area. Uh, you remember how Joseph... Uh, uh, said when you when you head up out of the uh, out of Egypt, he said, "Don't leave me here. Don't leave my bones here. You dig me up and bring me with you." And so they did. And his bones uh, are there. There's a sepulcher there uh, where Joseph's bones are, are buried yet to this day. So a lot of things went on in that city of Sychar, Shechem, as it's uh, called in the Old Testament. A great deal of remarkable, remarkable history there. And much of the remnant of what was once there you can still see today. And so you have, uh, you have these... Uh, uh, this confrontation that, that comes to place, uh, comes to pass here in this place. And as she's talking, uh, you know, she's going to be, uh, this lady, a woman at the well, is going to be mentioning some things about these mountains that uh, play and are a significant part of the story. We'll talk about those as we get down there. But this was also the same place where Joshua, after a period of time, uh, had conquered the land and there was a need of a revival meeting. He called a revival meeting to take place here. 
He preached the revival meeting, and you read about it. You read one of the, you read the subject of his message of revival in, in Joshua chapter 24, verse 15, where it says, If it seem evil to you to serve the Lord, choose you this day who you will serve. And he says, Whether the gods which your, your fathers served that were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. So there in that same setting, we have Joshua preaching that message of decision in this valley between these two mountains, the valley of blessing, I mean the mountain of blessing, the mountain of cursing, and the valley of decision in between. And here's the choice you must make. And so it is with you and I today. We still have the opportunity to make the choice. Uh, we can serve the gods of this world and go on living the way the world uh, dictates that we live, or we can choose to serve the God of uh, Israel, the God of the Bible, the God of, uh, uh, of uh, Jacob and uh, Abraham and Jacob and Joseph and the, and the 12 tribes, the God of um, the New Testament, our God. We can choose to serve Him uh, this day as well. So just outside of, uh, of that city was, at the time, was Jacob's well. Now is right within the confines of the city and built over now. But at that time, it was by itself out. There wasn't really a, uh, any uh, place of shade or anything like that. It was very hot. It was the middle of the day. And, and uh, it was at this place where this woman comes. And Jesus is seated there by the well. He's got a divine appointment from God to meet with this woman at the well. So here she comes with many problems. She's a great contrast to Nicodemus, who we saw what, a couple of weeks ago. We saw Nicodemus coming to Jesus uh, by night. This woman comes in the middle of the day. It's noon. We saw that here's Nicodemus, a, a, moral, a moral man after the morality of the world. He wasn't uh, one who was guilty of the uh, sins of immorality that you associate with that uh, uh, term. He wasn't adulterous. He wasn't a drunkard. He wasn't a carouser. He was a moral upstanding man. He was well respected. And this woman uh, in the opposite spectrum was a woman of the world. She was not respected in her culture, in her community. She was a woman that uh, had, uh, had many, many uh, immoralities and was currently in a relationship that was an adulterous relationship and so much different from uh, uh, from Nicodemus, but as we contrast these two and see all the differences between them, we see something that is the same between the both of them. And that something that is the same is that they both have the same need of forgiveness and deliverance from their sins. And so though Nicodemus' sins were a different set of sins than were the woman at the well, uh, they both had the same need, forgiveness and deliverance. And did you know today, you and I have the same need as both Nicodemus and the woman at the well. We got the same need of forgiveness and deliverance. And here, these, uh, here she was in this circumstance, in this situation, and she was, um, uh, was not even aware of what her real need was. She was of a, uh, of a people against whom there were long-standing prejudices as well. So it wasn't only her personal situation and her being basically a social outcast and an immoral woman. It wasn't just that situation, but it was also the fact that she was of a people that were, you know, uh, there was prejudice against both from the Romans and from the Jews, as verse 9 suggests to us, Nicodemus 
uh, answer, uh, I'm sorry, I'm in the wrong chapter there. Uh, verse 9 of uh, chapter 4. Then saith the woman of Samaria unto him, How is it that thou, being a Jew, askest, uh, uh, askest a drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria? For the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. And so, long-standing prejudice of the Jews against the Samaritans. They had no dealings. They, weren't even, they didn't even cross, cross their territory because of their prejudice against them. Uh, she had a lot of problems. It was built-in prejudices that, uh, you know, were there. And she immediately, immediately, the first thing that comes to her mind was the differences between this Jew and this Samaritan, this man and this woman, uh, this moral person and this immoral person, and he, she's immediately aware of the, uh, you know, of the contrast of the prejudice that uh, she thinks should be in the mind of Jesus, who is a, in her mind is a Jew passing through Samaria, going to Galilee. She's amazed at that fact that he's even there in the first place. She's astonished that she's seen the disciples enter into town as she's coming out. They're going in. They may have crossed over the other side of the road there. They see this woman of the world come in the middle of the day. They know she's going to the well of water in the middle of the day when it's not customary to go to the well because of the hot, the heat of the day. It's normally something you do in the morning or in the evening. But she doesn't want a big crowd there. She's not uh, interested in confronting uh, the other women of the city who are, uh, are married and have families and have told their children, don't get near this woman. Don't let her have any influence on you at, at all. She's got... She's got uh, that going again. All those, uh, all of those uh, uh, things that uh, people have said, all the gossip and so on going on there, and uh, gossip with a basis, obviously. So she's there in that place. She's been through five failed marriages now. This, uh, you know, she got to the place where some Americans get and just said, "Give up on marriage altogether. Let's just live together. Let's just, uh, you know, cohabitate. Uh, let's just uh, move in together. Let's." Uh, the Bible uses the term chambering when it's talking about living together uh, in, uh, in an in a, a unmarried state. And so the Bible labels that as, uh, in this case, if she, she had been married so many times, it would be an adulterous, an adultery, a uh, situation of adultery. But that is uh, our culture today. By and large, our culture is uh, broadly accepting of uh, adulterous affairs uh, fornication and those kinds of things are all just part and parcel of the culture in which we live. Does it make them right? Does it make them okay? No, it doesn't make any difference to God how many do it. If every American decided it was okay, it's still not okay with God. If every young person decides it's okay, it's still not okay with God. It's still the same sin as it's always been. That hasn't changed at all. So she was in that circumstance, in that situation, failed five times at marriage, now living, as verse 18 says, uh, in adulterous relationship, she was pretty surprised that Jesus knew all this of her. And along with all that, another problem she has, she was part of a religion she didn't even understand, you know. Jesus said, you worship, you know not what. She's saying, well, we, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. She's pointing up at Gerizim. Our fathers, our fathers worshiped in this mountain when they'd heard there was the Mount of Blessing. And so they, you know, set up a temple up there and they worship up there. And that's, but you say... You say the headquarters for worship is over in Jerusalem. The Jews say that. And he answered her this way. He said, you don't even know what you're worshiping. And we, have, we can answer our culture that way as well. You don't even know what you're worshiping, you know. Uh, what, the, what the world uh, is uh, participating in in worship is, uh, is very often and most often not the worship of God. And so she is in a religion she really doesn't even understand. And she's associated... Uh, her 
religion with a place instead of a person, uh, and uh, that is that's a mistake she and many make associating religion with a place, associating faith with a place instead of a person. You know, you don't come to church and you know getting inside the doors all of a sudden get a a, a, a dumping of faith upon you. Uh, you 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 associate faith with the person of Jesus Christ, not the place which He has set aside for us to worship Him in. And so, uh, you know, others do that too. Others associate uh, worship with uh, a place. And then some, many, associate worship with a person, but the wrong person. They're worshiping the wrong one. So the, the place is important, but not without the right person. And associating the right person with the right place. A house is just a house until the Lord Jesus is, indwells it and says He's gathered together with His people and meeting with Him there. Then it becomes the house of God. A temple is just a... Uh, a temple building, unless it's the temple of the living God. And so the presence of God is what makes the difference. That was this woman's situation. She had religion she didn't understand. But her need was one that she wasn't even aware of. Her apparent needs were there. It was true. She had to deal with prejudice. That was true. It was an apparent need. She had, she had to deal with those prejudices. Many of you have faced the same uh, need to deal with prejudices that are built in there, that are part of culture, part of history. And uh, you've had to deal with prejudices of various kinds uh, uh, there. We uh, left-handers, we're the only uh, minority group that doesn't get any recognition in any governmental programs or anything. So uh, you know how many of you are left-handers here? Let me see your left hand. All right, there, uh, yeah, quite a little sprinkling of us there, about 11% is what they say. Uh, you know, no, you know, we don't get to do protest marches. We don't get uh, government funding. You know, we don't get reparations. We don't get anything. We had to, we had to put up with you, all you right-handers all our life and all the prejudices that you have against us and all the mockery and all those things. But we take it like a man. You know, we do the best we can. And so this woman was, was having to deal with prejudices like some of you are, uh, having to deal with prejudices. We have to deal with that. And as a child of God, God gives us the capabilities there. But, um, you know, that was what she thought she maybe was one of her needs was the prejudices against her. She, she uh, needed help in her relationships, obviously. I mean, you blow it five times and you give up on marriage and you're on number six and you're just experimenting with that one. And, uh, and so obviously she needed help. Her, she had need of relationship help, obvious, obvious there. That was an apparent need. She needed moral help. She had, uh, you know, obviously not... Uh, any understanding of uh, decency or morality, uh, that was a, another, uh, another factor that was an apparent need. But there was a deeper need and a real need, and maybe that's uh, someone here today. Uh, maybe some of us here today have this deeper need, this real need, and that's what I mentioned earlier. Her deepest and her most real need was the forgiveness of sins and deliverance from, those, uh, from the penalty of those sins. This is what Jesus would bring her to see. This is what all of us must see. You've got to see that today. You've got to see that that's really your need. None of the other stuff, none of the other stuff is nearly, nearly as important as seeing that. And uh, we need to not only, if, if um, we see that ourselves already or have seen that as children of God, if you're saved and you've been delivered from sins and you have had the forgiveness of sins, then your need right now is to let others know, to help others to know 
uh, how to get that need met. That's your need and my need now as Christians to get the gospel to others. Thank the Lord for uh, some fellows that went today over to uh, Pendleton. They had, I think, 14 saved today over at Pendleton. Uh, Brother Santiago and Brother Guy were able to preach the gospel there. And thank the Lord. They, they had their need met already a long time ago. And now they're taking it to the gospel to somebody else that maybe doesn't even initially know they have the need, but when they see it coming to Christ. What a thrill, what a blessing that is to help others to get to see. So look at how Jesus then opened her eyes to be able to see it. First, he stirred a desire in her. In verse uh, 10 through 15, we see that. Uh, he stirred a desire in her. First, she's, he's asking her, give me water to drink. And then as the uh, thing progresses, she's asking him to give her this living water. He's created a need in her, in her uh, life that is, is the real need. Verse 10, Jesus answered and said unto her, If thou knewest the gift of God, and who it is that speaketh to me, uh, that speaketh to thee, uh, give me to drink, thou wouldest have asked of him, and he would have given thee living water. The woman says unto him, the well is deep, and how, how, how then uh, you know, are you going to draw this water, and what are you going to use? And, and uh, on she goes, and she's not getting it. And then when he says, uh, if thou would have asked him, uh, he would have given thee this living water. So uh, she's, she does it. She asks him. The woman saith unto him, verse 15, Sir, give me this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. And uh, so uh, the tables are now reversed. Jesus is not asking her for water. She's gotten him, uh, she's gotten her to ask him for this living water. And that's how he begins to open anyone's eyes, begin to show them, uh, the, the, uh, creating them a desire for something they didn't even know that they needed. And so it's uh, something that has to be requested. She asked of him. Yeah, you and I are never going to come. No one will come to forgiveness and repentance and faith and deliverance until they ask, until they come to that point where they see they have the need. You may be here and know about Christ, but you need more than that. It, it is you need to ask. You need to call upon Him. Whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You see, it's a matter of recognizing the need and then asking Jesus to meet that need. So that's where she's at now. Uh, give me this water. He brought her then under conviction. Once she had the desire for something more than she had, once she had the desire for forgiveness, the desire for a life that was different than the one she had, there was the next step that Jesus took with her, and he brought her to conviction. Verse 16 through 18, Jesus saith unto her, Go call thy husband and come hither. The woman answered, and said, I have no husband. Jesus said unto her, Thou hast well said, I have no husband, for thou hast had five husbands, and he whom thou now hast is not thy husband, and that thou saidest truly. So the woman said, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Uh, so here now, all of a sudden, things are shifting around, and all of a sudden, all of the, uh, all of the camouflage has been stripped away from this woman, and she recognized that this person, whoever this is, is more than the common ordinary guy. This person is some kind of a prophet because he knows things about her that maybe a lot of people in town don't even know about her yet. And so she recognizes that uh, here's one that uh, is telling me things that I've told nobody else about. 
So the sense of conviction is developing in her, and it is something that must be there for anyone to come to Christ. There must be the sense of conviction about sin. And we try to be careful with the little children because everybody wants to go to heaven, and, you know, uh, little kids uh, want to go to heaven. And I remember an evangelist was in a park one day preaching the gospel, and, and he got to the end, and he said, how many of you kids? He had a little group of kids around there. How many kids want to want to go to heaven? And, uh, you know, most all of them raised their hand, and one little kid didn't and said, I talked to him afterwards and said, I, you know, little Johnny, don't, don't you want to go to heaven? And uh, don't you want to go to heaven someday and when you die? And he goes, oh, yeah, I, I want to go someday, but I thought you were taking a load up now. So <laughs> he, didn't, he wasn't ready to go yet, you know. And so this guy was ready. I mean, he had, a, he had the whole load of them ready to pray. But uh, we need to be careful when we're dealing with children that they have conviction about their sin. They're, it doesn't do any good for them to just say, dear Jesus, come to my heart and save my soul. Amen. And then dip them in water and on they go for years and years without really knowing uh, the Lord, you know, it doesn't do them any good. A lot of folks, we wonder why they drift away, why they're gone. Yeah, they never had it in the first place, you know. They never had it because they never had any conviction about their sin. They never saw themselves as sinners. They never saw the need to forgive, forgiveness of sin. They never saw the need for deliverance of sin, and they just got told they were going to heaven, and, you know, they've lived that way, and maybe some of you today are, are still at that place. I was there for years. I was there in that place for many years. Thought, you know, because I'd said some words, prayed some prayers, and got dunked in water, that I was, okay, everything was fine, everything was fine. There's a preacher told me that, everything was fine, you know. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, I never had that conviction that is needful there because conviction brings about a desire to change, to turn. That desire to turn is called in the Bible repentance. And Jesus made it so plain. I mean, how clear could he make it? He, the first thing he ever preached when he preached was preaching on repentance. He said, except Thou repent, thou shalt all likewise perish. Don't just, uh, you know, don't just have people say a bunch of words and, and with their head bowed and their eyes closed and tell them they're saved. Make sure that they're convicted about their sin and they know that they're sinners and that their sin separates them from God and they're going to go to hell if they choose to pay their own price for sin. And that only help from deliverance from that is a repentance, a desire to be changed, to be turned that repentance has to be there. That conviction must be there. You, they need to ha understand and be convicted that their sin is separating them from God and that they're vile sinners and unrighteous sinners and they have no hope of heaven without repentance. And my friend, when that is skipped over, when that is negated, when that is belittled, when that is not spoken of, we're missing the key component that Jesus always started with when he dealt with somebody about their soul, he doesn't take this. He doesn't just come to this woman and says, "You know, do you want to have a happy life? Do you want all your prayers to be answered? Do you want to have, you know, uh, do you want to have your marriage restored? Do you want to have a good, you know, situation? Do you want to have a, a fun life ahead and have peace? Okay, then just pray this prayer. Uh, you know, Jesus, uh, come in my heart and save me. Amen. And uh, you know, he didn't take that approach. He uh, recognized. He helped her to recognize her condition. Oh, sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Uh, you know things about me that I don't want people to know about me. Uh, you, uh, you, you uh, have convinced me. She has her mind obviously changed because by the time we see her testimony a little bit later in town, she says, come and see a man that showed me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Messiah? And so come and see a man. I want you to, I want you to see what I saw. I want you to hear what I heard. She's obviously had her mind changed about her sins and about the Savior. 
She started out and just called him another Jew. She said, you being a Jew, you know, you have, you have no dealing with the Samaritans. She started there, and as she began to converse with him, she came to the place of some respect. She said, sir, sir, uh, the well is deep, and you don't have anything to get it all with. You know, where, where, where are you going to get this water? And, and then she went a step further when she was confronted with her sins. She said, I perceive that thou art a prophet. So she went from, here's a Jew to respect of sir, to the place of a prophet. And now by the time we're finished with this woman, she's calling him Messiah. Is not this the Savior? Is not this the Messiah? You see the change that's taken place, the turn of mind in her sins, concerning her sins and the turn of mind concerning the Savior. That's what repentance is about. And so uh, he had to bring, that, bring her to that place. Now she gets sidetracked about Gerizim and about the temple up there that used to be there, that the their ancestors worshipped in, and he, uh, he helps her with that too. He takes her to see the importance of truth over traditions, uh, rituals and rites and traditions and ceremonies, all those things that uh, she counted as religion. He had to get her past that and show her that it was the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of God's truth in His Word that was going to bring life to her own spirit. That's what he had to show her. In verse 23, the hour cometh, now is, when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship Him. God is the Spirit. They that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth. It's not about going up there on that Mount Gerizim and getting in that uh, remnants of that temple that's there uh, that was constructed by the Samaritans, for Samaritans, and with Samaritan views of religion. It's not about that. It's about a relationship with God that comes through the Word of God and the Holy Spirit's convicting and convincing and drawing them to uh, Christ, uh, drawing her to Christ. So she, she is there. She meets the Savior uh, face to face and, and recognizes that, and the change comes about in here in her. Uh, the change had to do with her communication with the Lord. Where there's no communication, there's no connection. And we don't get to do, uh, you know, second time around on it again. And so there's, it's so important that the uh, word is communicated to those that need it. Even those that don't know they need it must be communicated to them. So here she's in that situation. And uh, she had obvious changes taking place. Verse 28 says she left her water pot. She left, I mean, the very reason she came out to the uh, well in the middle of the day was to get much needed water and to take it back for her needs uh, of the evening of the day. She left her water pot. All of a sudden, water and getting water and the daily thing of life was not nearly as important as this message that she had received and left her water pot, went running back to town and spread the word through town. Um, uh, she normally was a woman that didn't want the attention of the townspeople in the middle of the day. She didn't want that uh, kind of attention. But now uh, she's a changed woman. She's different. Come, I want to show you men that told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Is not this the Messiah? And so uh, she had a new desire. She didn't want to just keep it to herself. She wanted others to have the message as well. And this woman's witness was simple enough. She simply went in and, and told the people what Jesus had done for her and invited them to him. That's all we need to do as well. Charles Spurgeon said it this way. He said this woman's, uh, uh, concerning this woman's witnessing, he said, we might all be just as useful as this woman if we would just try. 
we would just try. And so that's what this woman did. Can we really, uh, can we really say we are following the Lord and we're loving the Lord and we're serving the Lord if we don't ever do anything to try to get others to Christ? You know, we, we really need help there, Lord. Help us to be more faithful in bringing others to Christ. Have, have you now, t- today, been to that well of water of everlasting life? Have you, have you tasted the water of everlasting life, that well that springs up into everlasting life, that inner, that, uh, of, that flowing water of life that Jesus said would put in the inner man and would flow out of him? Uh, let's, uh, let's come to Christ and be saved today if you haven't been yet. And then let's us Christians say, God, help me. Help me to bring somebody else. Help me to be like this woman uh, gave us example of when she went to town and got the word out that Jesus was in town. Let's, let's uh, bring others to Christ. Well, Brother Grissom and I had the privilege of going out and visiting uh, a lady named Betty. She's 98 years old. She's 98 years old. We sat and visited her. She's still sharp of mind, and, and uh, we had a, a nice uh, visit, nice conversation uh, this lady told me while we were talking, while visiting, she said, Pastor, said, uh, I got saved uh, in 1929. <laughs> 1929. And I thought about that. I thought Wyatt Earp was still alive in 1929. <laughs> she got saved while Wyatt Earp was still alive. <laughs> you know? So, so uh, 1929. So she was eight years old. Said, Pastor, I got saved at a Salvation Army meeting, preaching the gospel there, and I trusted Christ as my Savior, and never doubted it since. So, uh, 98 years old, she's been serving the Lord and been faithful to the Lord for 90 years. <laughs> been a Christian for 90 years. <laughs> so, uh, that's a remarkable thing. That, uh, and she, uh, she had this testimony. She said, you know, she began to cry. She said, I, there's so many here that need the Lord and so many I've talked to. And some that, you know, don't want to hear it, don't want to hear anything about it. She's 98 years old and still witnessing, still giving the gospel out. And she can't see hardly at all anymore. But she said, Pastor, she said, tell your people, she said, tell them to memorize the scriptures. Tell them to memorize the scriptures because that, that's all I've got now. I can't, I can't see the scriptures anymore to tell people about Jesus. I just have to quote them from memory. And she said, I'm so glad I, I, remember, I memorized scripture when I was younger, when I still could, you know, and I still could see it. So uh, here, many of us can see well, and we neglect our Bibles, you know. We may go a week without reading a, a verse of scripture, reading a, opening a book. And here she doesn't have eyes anymore, really longs to be able to still read the scriptures, but now just has to quote it from memory. And, and if someone will come and, you know, turn on the CD that has the Bible on tape, she can hear that, but she had difficulty even finding the right buttons for that and so forth. But to tell people to, to love their Bible and to, and to read their Bible while they've still got the eyes to read it. And to memorize the scripture for the day may come when they aren't able to see it anymore. So that was her challenge to me. But I was so thrilled with here a 98-year-old lady. Been following Christ for 90 years. Still doesn't think it's time to quit witnessing and quit telling others about Jesus. She's still trying to bring them to Christ. And uh, many, many people in that, uh, uh, in that retirement home where, where she lives has, has heard the gospel through her. So let's, uh, let's follow that kind of example as uh, we as we think about uh, this woman at the well who did the same thing so many years ago, let's stand together and give an invitation. If you as a Christian need to come and say, Lord, just use me this week uh, to uh, to make a difference in someone's life, even if it's so so simple a thing as to put down a gospel track someplace and um, you know invite someone to church that they might hear the gospel. Uh, let's all let's all do more than we have. Let's ask the Lord to help us to do that. 
Then if you're here and you've never met Jesus Christ like this woman at the well, she thought she was okay with religion, but uh, never met the Lord. She, you know, was worshiping there in the remnants of the temple. It's still there today. They've just uncovered it recently. The temple there on Gerizim, the remnants of it there for the, built by the Samaritans, still there. And uh, she would go up there, didn't even know what she was worshiping. Maybe you're like that and you got a form of worship but no power thereof and don't understand really what, what it's all about. Uh, will you come and let us show you out of the Bible how, how to call on Christ, how to know you're sh for sure you're saved, how to be able to turn from sin to Christ and know it, uh, that uh, heaven's your home. I want to show you out of the Bible that if a man comes, a, a young man or a boy, we'll show you the Bible. Have a, uh, we'll have a man show you the Scripture. If a lady comes, we'll have a lady to, uh, to take you aside for a few moments and show you how to be saved, how to, how to call on Christ. And so um, if you... If that's your need, come and just meet me at the front here. If you're a Christian, come want to come pray, use the altar, then you come do that as well. Uh, whatever the need is, uh, I encourage you to come. We're going to sing a verse or two of invitation. I surrender all, 496. And those that are preparing for baptism can slip on out just now uh, as we get ready to baptize in a moment. But 496, while others are coming, will you come? I surrender all. Come on ahead. All to Jesus, I surrender to Him I freely give. 